member. In about 2015, I attended the Focus Conference, which is the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. The whole conference being about four days and had some pretty big name Catholic speakers there. There's about 10,000 college students and the conference was kind of a choose your own adventure. Each session had about 15 talks happening simultaneously. And of course, some talks would fill up faster based on who was speaking or what the topic was. One of the speakers, Father Gary Thomas, was a pre is a priest exorcist who ins was the inspiration for the movie The Right. And of course, his two-part talk on exorcism was packed to say the least. Because we all have some level of fascination with the spiritual. And I have to say, it's not uncommon for me to get questions about the spiritual life, the angelic, or the demonic. And yes, I've had a number of people come in because they recognize the spiritual battle happening in their life. In our gospel today, Jesus commands an unclean spirit. So yes, we have a scriptural account of Jesus performing an exorcism and pointing to the nature of the demonic. The issue is that many people live in one extreme or the other. Either they believe the devil is around every corner or they flat out deny the reality of spiritual warfare. But of course, truth lies in the middle. Let me be clear what this truth is. Yes, the devil and his demons do exist and they desire the ruin of your soul. They hate you with every fiber of their being and will stop at nothing to impose their will over your life. Yes, hell does exist. It is a total absence of God who is the source of all goodness, truth, beauty, and love. So the objective of the demonic is to close you off to these things. God desires no one to go to hell. However, people do choose it in their own free will. But the most important truth of all of this is to Jesus Christ belongs all power and authority. To Jesus Christ belongs the victory which he has already won for our sake. The very name of Jesus sends demons cowering in fear. This power and authority is exercised through the ministry of the church. Let this truth be at the forefront of your mind as I continue to talk about the realities of spiritual warfare. Three points that I'd like to make sure I address is one, the ways that the demonic influence us. Two, God's authority over the demonic. And three, the ways that we can continue to fight the good fight. To the first point, the ways demonic try to influence our daily life. The most common way is through temptation. And these whisperings can't be distinguished from our own thoughts. And that's what makes them so dangerous. If we knew their origin, then we would, they would lose their effectiveness. To this, I'd like to point to St. Ignatius' rules of discernment. The enemy tempts us with false reasonings. It's never an obvious lie, but always a slight bending of the truth, just enough to make us believe it. And maybe you've had some of these thoughts right before succumbing to sin. It's not that bad, is it? Everyone else does it, so why not me? I'll never be able to overcome this sin anyway. Who am I really hurting? Or this will be the last time. And the list goes on and on with these subtle pushes from the enemy to start us down a path of sin. Other types of demonic influence are rare, and I don't want to spend too much time on them, but if the, interesting, if the topic is interesting, I would suggest the book Slaying Dragons by Charles Fraun, 
or a podcast he did on the Catholic talk show, The Seven Things Exorcists Want You to Know. It's about an hour podcast. I'm going to summarize these other types of influence as either internal or external. And externally, there'd be a seeming unexplainable block in a person's life. At the root of it all is the enemy's desire to pull apart at relationship. That block can manifest in unexplainable sickness, the splintering of families, or even the inability for a perfectly qualified person to find work in an on-demand field. Internal influence is an attack on the imagination or emotions. Internal influence can be characterized by non-rational emotional reactions or an obvious exaggeration of emotional response. And this definitely points to a person needing healing in their life, and a spiritual element can't be ignored. I'd like to add that exorcists work in conjunction with mental health professionals and medical doctors. Sometimes a person thinks they're struggling with a demonic, but it's a mental disorder or a medical issue, and likewise, the opposite can be true. There could be a partial or full possession, and there are a number of ways that a priest is able to determine a real possession versus someone in need of some psychiatric help. A priest may conceal the fact that he's carrying the Eucharist with him into the room. He might take an unconsecrated host or sprinkle a person with regular water to see if they react. And I'd like to add again that this is rare, so don't please, after hearing this homily, start taking holy water and sprinkling all your friends and seeing if they react. Don't do that. And all of this, remember the second part, that God has complete authority over these unclean spirits. Reasons that God might allow such things to happen are to increase our own faith or out of respect for our own free will. Please do not start trying to work with fortune tellers or play with Ouija boards or dabble in any type of magic because you are literally inviting the demonic into your life. And God says, if that's what you want, then that's what you get. Exorcists have some pretty incredible stories where in the middle of performing an exorcism, as soon as the presence of the Blessed Mother is felt, the demons run for the hills. Monsignor John Essif, a priest exorcist, says that the most, one of the most powerful intercessors is Saint Jacinta, the small child from Fatima. The demons hate how a seemingly small and insignificant creature could be glorified in such a beautiful way. Most of you here are thinking that this stuff is either really interesting or that I've completely lost my mind and that now Father Adam is weird or something. But the most important part of this homily is the third part, and that's the ways to fight the good fight and stay in a state of grace. First, and I've been preaching on this since I was first ordained a priest, go to confession regularly. Even exorcists say that confession is more powerful than the solemn rite of exorcism because confession is a sacrament instituted by Jesus Christ and exorcism is merely a sacramental. Next, the Eucharist. If you can, make regular mass attendance a priority. Most importantly, when you come to mass on Sundays and other days of, holy, of obligation, make sure you're prepared to receive the graces of the sacrament. None of these things I'm suggesting work like magic. Grace must be cooperated with. It would be more spiritually beneficial to receive the Eucharist once per week in a state of grace with a great awareness of what you're receiving than receiving the Eucharist every day while just running through the motions. But neither is that an excuse 
to avoid daily mass. Humility is another key. When we recognize our own radical dependence on God and stop relying on our own efforts, then no evil spirit would dare mess with us. And if you just thought to yourself, of course I'm a humble person, then you too should probably be working on your own humility. And make sure you're taking time for prayer. St. Ignatius makes it pretty clear in his Rules of Discernment that if we're not listening for and hearing God's voice, then we should increase our prayer life and stick with the commitments we heard in spiritual consolation. Our tendency, however, is to do the opposite. Sacramentals are another great way to keep yourself focused on God. Things like saint medals, blessed salt, holy water, blessed candles, and holy oil. And I'd personally like to add beauty as a sacramental, in particular religious art. When we contemplate beauty, goodness, truth, and love, then our hearts and minds are raised to God. Our parish patroness, St. Margaret Mary, received the image of the Sacred Heart. Invite one of the priests into your home to have the image of the Sacred Heart enthroned and your family consecrated to the Sacred Heart of Jesus. For our families, examine your communal prayer life. Parents, tell your kids that Father Adam says that you have to pray more and blame me for it. I promise that if you make prayer a routine in your family, while it might start off as awkward, it will become something that you look forward to. Sit around the dinner table and ask for prayer requests. Parents, and this is something that I, I always tell parents of uh, people getting baptized, bless your children. It's your authority as your parents. Your family is the domestic church. I remember one year when I was in middle school, my mom decided we were going to abstain from meat all of Lent. And honestly, outside of the few times we, it was one of the few times we did anything religious outside of my parents dragging me to mass on Sundays. But it's a cherished memory of mine, coming together as a family to offer up something to God. If there's anything I want you to pull away from this homily, it's this. Jesus Christ willingly accepted the cross to win the victory over sin and death. From the moment of your baptism, you were claimed by Jesus Christ that no other power or authority would have any control over you. We must continually reclaim the graces of our baptism, constantly working towards the Father's love. We're fighting a battle, but the war is won.